0: Helios was founded in 2004 by Tokwe Luane and Babatunde Shiyoye and has since grown into the largest Africa-focused private investment firm. Since its establishment, Helios has raised three private equity funds investing across growth and buyout and in 2015 established Helios Credit, a dedicated credit platform which invests and manages the TriLink Global Impact Fund's sub-Saharan term loan portfolio. Helios believes that the firm's greatest contribution to regional development comes from building profitable, value creating and socially responsible private enterprises and is the largest emerging markets focused PE firm globally to receive B Corp certification. Dabney Tanelli is partner and member of executive committee at Helios where she leads the firm's efforts to develop and maintain its relationships with existing and prospective investors. She joined Helios in May 2012 from Chaten Capital LLP an emerging markets private equity investment advisor where she was a managing partner and chief operating officer. Dabney was jointly responsible for Chayton's Africa business, executing that firm's strategy on the continent with a focus on operations, transactions, and key investor relationships. Prior to Chayton, Dabney was at Goldman Sachs for 12 years, holding a variety of management roles in global investment research in London, and was previously in the investment management division in New York, where her responsibilities included product development and management, as well as marketing and client coverage. Dabney, welcome to The Alternative Angle. Great to have you with us.
1: Thanks, Alex, it's great to be here.
0: Perhaps we can start off by giving our listeners a bit of background on Helios, the team and how they came together to set up Helios in 2004.
1: Yes, sure. Happy to do that. And, and it's actually an interesting story. So, our co founders, who you mentioned up front, uh, Topoe and Baba Tunde, both happened to be from Nigeria. And uh, they were both educated in the US and in Europe. Baba went to Imperial, Topwe went to MIT, and then he got business and law degrees from Harvard and they were working in developed market private equity and that's how they met. So they may have been the only two Nigerians working in US private equity and uh, in developed market private equity at the time and uh, they ended up at the same firm. Uh, Tokwe joined uh, TPG in their San Francisco office when I think there were about 10 people at the firm. So it was still when the, when the firm was quite young. And then uh, Babatunde, joined TPG later uh, in, uh, to head their European TMT effort from uh, their London office. So they got to know each other and they recognized really that they had a shared passion for Africa. And at a certain point they decided they wanted to take the skills that they built, the network, that expertise that they developed doing developed market private equity and apply it to Africa, which of course is home. And at the time, TPD was not active in Africa, so they decided to start their own firm and really dedicate 100% of their attention to African private equity, which at the time was pretty undeveloped. Remember, this was 15 years ago, and which you could certainly argue is more interesting, more challenging, and more meaningful than just developed market PE. So their vision, really even at the outset, was that they wanted to build the leading African private investment firm and build it to a global standard. And by that we really mean the caliber of the team, world-class investment capabilities, the rigor of our investment process, as well as really an entrepreneurial business building approach and local and global connectivity. And those two last things are really critical for the way that we execute our investment strategy so if you look across the firm the the people look very uh sort of similar with similar backgrounds and our mission has been generating and it continues to be i should say generating globally competitive investment returns and at the same time doing so while creating positive socioeconomic development outcomes and i i would maybe add that African private equity is really different from doing private equity in developed markets in many respects. It's really all about growth. So it requires all the skills you need in developed markets, but you need more. You have to have that entrepreneurial capability. You have to have business building skills because you can't really rely on generating returns through financial engineering. And over the years, we've built an investment team of around 20 people. We have another 12 people in our portfolio operations group, which again is just essential for the way that we do what we do. Um, and the, the people on the team, as I, as I was mentioning, have backgrounds very similar to Tokway and Babatunde. They're some, from some place on the continent, they've really cut their teeth doing develop market private equity at firms like Bain or Warburg Pincus and we think that's really important because we need people to have that understanding of the African operating environment who have deep personal and business networks on the continent but also have that sort of global connectivity and a much broader toolkit which means they have the capability to execute which sometimes are pretty complex transactions that we do and to be able to come up with creative solutions and then I just make one more point on this it sounds very surprising but we're actually the only pan-african private equity firm that was founded and is led by africans
0: what do you think Helios does differently which has helped you grow to become the largest africa focused private investment firm today
1: our, our approach really is differentiated and it's very much tailored to the realities of the environment in which in which we invest so Um, It's really about the team and about our strategy. So first of all, the quality and diversity of the team and an entrepreneurial culture, which I mentioned before, are key. So our markets are really not heavily intermediated. So you absolutely have to be what we think of as a deal maker rather than just a deal taker. And I mentioned creativity and the ability to deal with complexity a moment ago, and that capability is really clear and the breadth of the deals that we've done over the years. So we've done everything from startups to carve-outs from multinationals to growth investments backing strong founders and CEOs. So I'd say that's the first thing. Next is really our strategy, which is focused on buying and uh, and building what we think of as market-leading companies to operate in sectors that are really core to the functioning of the economy. Think of it sort of as economic infrastructure. And for us, scale is very important. So for example, scale allows you to get the best management talent, and it also affords you a real diversity of potential exit routes. And I think maybe on that point about exits, it's interesting because um, people often have the impression that it's difficult to exit businesses in Africa, but that's really not true if you've built what we think of as a must-own asset. So back to that point about being a market leader, so if you are Visa and you want to buy an established FinTech business in Africa's largest economy, you're going to buy InterSwitch, which is a business of ours in Nigeria. Or if you are JC Deco and you want to expand into Africa, really the only asset to buy is Continental Outdoor Media, which we sold to them in 2015. So those are two examples of strategic buying our businesses once we built them into high quality, diversified platforms of scale. So they're businesses that need to exist for economies to function. And we think that's a critical part of our strategy and a reason for our success. Um, and they have to be relatively simple businesses as well because the operating environment is very complex. And then I think finally, you know, another key point of differentiation is that we tend to take control stakes, not always, but usually. So we're really in a position um, in, any, in any event, whether we have a control stake or not, To drive the the trajectory of our portfolio companies and with that team of 12 people on the portfolio operations group that I mentioned earlier, we have the skills and the expertise to do this and that really sets us apart.
0: What are some of the challenges that your portfolio companies are facing at the moment and how are you helping them overcome these
1: Yeah, well, I guess maybe I would refer back to my comment about our focus on basic businesses that are core to the functioning of the economy. And as a result of that, um, our portfolio has been pretty resilient through this period. Um, At the outset of the pandemic back in January, our focus was really on supply chain, as I think it was for everyone. Uh, So we were very much hands-on troubleshooting in that regard. But as the situation developed over the subsequent months, we started working very intensively with the management teams of our portfolio companies to manage a pretty broad set of risks and concerns that were related to a whole host of things. So people, operations, financial issues. And what we said to uh, the management teams of our companies at the outset was that it was really going to be impossible to know what's the severity, what's the duration of this crisis going to be And as a result of that, you know, the implication was very much that we needed to focus on cash flow and liquidity scenario planning. And so that was priority number one. Uh, And specifically, you know, when you're working with these companies, how do you manage through a period of uncertainty like that? You've got to shore up balance sheets. You need to really move quite quickly and quite aggressively. So we were very supportive through this whole process, helping companies to draw on lines of credit. Um, to extend debt maturities, to collect receivables, looking at streamlining costs and taking other measures to to preserve cash. At the same time, of course, there are lots of people management issues, making sure people are safe, making sure they're okay, uh, taking care of people's health, all of these things are, are critical. Um, and then, you know, there's some opportunities as well. So there's an opportunity to kind of optimize and localize your supply chain. So we focused on that. We've looked at operational and personnel efficiency and and also look to take advantage of um, in some cases in some of our markets there have been favorable shifts in regulatory policies. So being kind of at the forefront of looking at how that can affect our businesses. And in some cases, you know, there's been higher customer demand. There are new channel opportunities. There's increased consumption of whether it's food or data and, um, Another thing that we're quite forward leaning on is looking at opportunities to digitize processes and to do that faster as a result of this. So we don't really own anything, any businesses that operate in hard-hit sectors like hospitality or travel and leisure. But we do own businesses that have have kind of, you know, had even more demand and I would say those um, are things like payments businesses that have been doing very well Uh, telecoms and related infrastructure and things like food and agribusiness.
0: Where do you see there being the greatest opportunities to invest across Africa right now? And given that your time horizons are pretty long term, has this changed much from the pre-corona era?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, it's an interesting question. I would say certainly we recognize that, you know, this pandemic that we're living through right now is going to accelerate some behavioral shifts that we've already been observing. I mean, everywhere in the world, people are working from home, they're consuming more uh, data and different entertainment from home. So demand for voice and data services going up. Um, There's certainly an increased use of electronic payment services Uh, So we've observed some of these things that are kind of in in the core of what we do anyway. Uh, And our key themes are really demographics and urbanization, and technology and innovation. And within that we focus on four areas, and that's financial technology and services, telecom and internet infrastructure, energy infrastructure and services, and then real estate, but really things like logistics and rental accommodation. And I would say you know the sectors themselves haven't necessarily changed that much over time but the opportunity set for sure has evolved and I think just generally speaking if you think about things like renewables and fintech those have evolved over time Um, and that's not necessarily kind of a pre-corona thing but just the evolution in our markets and then you know more importantly in terms of just evolution our own evaluation process has been enhanced over the last 15 years. So we've gotten a lot more efficient in the way that we look to manage risk and to optimize our return. So we really prioritize investments that I think will benefit from this sort of um, post-corona era, if you will. Um, so we generally take control stakes, as I mentioned, and there are businesses that benefit from Demographically driven secular growth. They're capital light. They have some sort of FX protection. They avoid direct commodity exposure um, We you know we care about you know climate targets and climate impact And we also look for really well understood business models that have global emerging market precedents and where you see a strong history of cross border MA. so that does lead us to the sorts of businesses that I mentioned earlier that have been quite resilient during this period, whether it's payments businesses or, or, um, you know, I mentioned um, telecoms and internet infrastructure, as well as some distribution businesses that are related to agriculture and so forth. And we expect that these sorts of businesses, if you look over the next five, 10 years, uh, those are areas that will generate a lot of growth opportunity.
0: As you mentioned at the beginning, Helios makes a strong contribution to sustainable development by building profitable, value-creating and social-responsible companies. Can you point to any specific examples in the portfolio that have been particularly successful from an ESG or impact perspective?
1: Well, this is one where I'm gonna have to rein myself back a bit because I know our time is limited and I could really talk about this all day. Um, But I will give you a couple of of, um, exciting examples from our portfolio. But overall, I would just say um, that we really are a pioneering innovative provider of capital on the continent and that this has a massive impact in so many different ways and I'll, I'll try to bring that to life with a couple of examples. And also you know, consistent with the B Corp ethos, as you said at the outset, you know, we really believe that business can be a force for good. So let me give you an example of a business that we actually created sort of from scratch, which has had a tremendous impact in a whole bunch of different ways and that's Telecom's Towers. Uh, so Topoy and Babatunde, our, our co-founders, who we were talking about earlier, were actually the people on the continent who introduced the model of independent owners and operators of telecoms towers. And I always think that there's nowhere in the world that this model of shared infrastructure is more appropriate than on the continent. And in terms of impact, it's literally, since they started the first business, it's, it's um, attracted Billions of dollars of equity and debt capital into Africa. It's created jobs, including lots of contractors and small businesses that service the towers industry. And on top of that, and probably most importantly, it's driven down costs for customers and it's provided connectivity in places where it really wouldn't be economic for one operator to have a tower. But if you have shared infrastructure, it makes it viable. So that means. People who were in places that wouldn't have had, um, you know, access to mobile telephony now have um, have that access and mobile operators can sort of turn their attention to focusing on innovation and reducing costs for customers. And then it sort of goes on because on the environmental side, you've avoided having uh, proliferation of towers because you don't have every operator putting up their own towers. And also on, a, on the power side, obviously these, um, Uh, These towers need to be powered and we've replaced diesel power generators with greener solutions including solar and long-life batteries so that obviously has a massive environmental impact as well as a cost and a safety impact because you're not transporting diesel fuel around. And and then it doesn't really end there because now you put mobile phones in the hands of many more people and what does that enable, you know, that enables mobile payments and the impact here, in terms of financial inclusion, is really profound. If you think of um, some of the continent's largest economies, Nigeria being a good example, you know, 80% of the population is unbanked. So just like you know that that sort of story of mobile phones having leapfrogged landlines, with, um, you're now seeing something similar in financial services. And this is also an area where Africa is really led in innovation. So that's an example of some businesses that needed to exist, someone's got to build them, they need to build them to scale, they need to build them to a world-class quality, and they have a massive impact on people's lives, solving problems like accessibility and affordability. Uh, so that's one great example in towers and what that has enabled, but I'm going to give you one more example, uh, as I said, it's hard to stop myself, because it's something that's less obvious. And that, um, it starts with uh, a business that we own called Starsight, which we built up from, from quite a small business that we've invested in in Nigeria. And it addresses the power deficit, which is massive in that country. It provides power and energy solutions to commercial multi-site clients like bank branches. They're now doing more with schools and hospitals and other you know clients that have multi-site um, buildings that they need to power. And they do this with a solar diesel battery hybrid solution that displaces uh, dirty uh, diesel generators. So last year this business offset about 11 tons of CO2 emissions. So the, the environmental uh, impact is pretty significant. But there's a less obvious impact, which is social, and I think this is very interesting with this particular business. The CEO is promoting gender-balanced teams. So they set out a goal to increase the number of women in leadership positions and in technical roles within this business. And now the management team is 42% female, which is way above the industry average. And they're looking now to increase the number of female engineers and field teams, which um, is currently 8 percent, but they're working on that as, as their next initiative. So I think that's really quite exciting. It's a non-obvious thing for, uh, you know, for an energy services business. And I think it gives you a good sense of how we contribute to the development uh, in Africa by building, you know, what you would really described at the outset as businesses that are profitable, they're value-creating, and they're socially responsible.
0: Sabney, thank you for your time today in joining us on The Alternative Angle.
1: Well, thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. Thanks, Alex.